Let me pray for us. Lord God, your word is truth. And we thank you that it has been preserved for us in the Bible. Uh, we thank you that we are people of the book. Uh, we seek to live according by the truth that you have revealed ultimately through your son. As we reflect further on this whole issue of truth this morning, uh, help us, we pray, to have our hearts warmed to the beauty of the truth which Jesus brings and our hearts moved to live it out more fully in our everyday lives. Amen. Where do people in Australian society look for truth these days? Uh, where do they look for guidance, for wisdom? Uh, well, uh, what is their ultimate authority for what they need to know? Uh, who are the gurus whose views are respected and sought? Uh, probably depends, you'd say, on the subject. And exactly right. So if it's for gardening, maybe you would be making a fast path to uh, Burke's backyard and episodes of that. Uh, if it is uh, life and well-being and spirituality, many people today would be going to opera and finding out what she has to say. If it's finance, maybe David Koch, uh, maybe wise friends, people whose opinions we respect. Why do we do that? Uh, why do we seek wisdom from outside of ourselves? Well, surely it's because we're recognizing that life is bigger than us and we don't know all that we need to know to live life well. We need advice. We need the wisdom of others to see how best to move forward in situations, to chart the best course in life. Now, on the one hand... Uh, it's true to say that people may value particular sources of guidance and wisdoms in their life. That is true. But on the other hand, it's also true to say that generally in our society there is a rejection of any ultimate overarching truth to which everyone should submit. Uh, people these days, of course, are comfortable with reserving the right to decide what is true for them. Uh, unexpectedly for Pilate, he is confronted with a claim to absolute truth uh, during his questioning of the Lord Jesus. Uh, Jesus claims to be the king of divine truth. And yet, his response represents what would be the response of many in our society and our world today when faced with a similar claim? What is truth? It's that cynicism, it's that skepticism that there is no such thing as absolute truth to which all people should submit and subscribe. What is the danger behind such a rejection of absolute truth? Why is the truth that Christ brings to be prized and to be embraced above all others? Let's look more closely at Pilate's trial of Jesus before then thinking more about this whole issue of 
truth in our world today. Uh, The small knot of men stood impatiently outside the Roman governor's palace. It was early morning and the twilight was just returning. Their prisoner was firmly corralled in their midst. It had been a long night. The specially convened emergency session of the Jewish ruling body, the Sanhedrin, had been somewhat of a shambles. However, they had finally secured the charge that they sought. Blasphemy. It was the death penalty for him. However, there was one obstacle that still lay in the path of their goal. Unfortunately for them, just the previous year, a new Roman law had been passed and it took away from the Jews the right to administer capital punishment. Now, only the Romans could execute a person. They assumed that the Roman governor would sign off on it without much fuss. After what seemed like an eternity to the impatient brigade, the governor finally emerged. What charges are you bringing against this man? Charges? Charges? What does he mean, charges? Surely he's not going to conduct his own trial. We've done that. We just want him to be executed. They hadn't been prepared for charges to be brought in a Roman court. They hadn't expected to open the case anew and for him to conduct his own trial. They played for time. Uh, If we were not a criminal, we would not have handed him over to you. By now, Pilate's ire was rising. Uh, Rome was famed for its adherence to due process, and he was not about to set a new precedent on his watch. And besides, these Jews, they irritated him. If they weren't going to bring formal charges, he wasn't going to play ball. Take him yourself and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, the Jews objected. However, they realized there would be no changing Pilate's mind now. The Jews hastily conferred amongst themselves. They knew all too well that their Sanhedrin's charge of blasphemy wasn't an offense under Roman law. The Romans didn't care if this man claimed to be God. That would be classed as just a purely internal Jewish matter. It had to be a political offense. The charge had to relate to a threat to the Roman Empire and to Caesar. They had to go for high treason. So they responded. We have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payments of taxes to Caesar and claims to be Christ, a king. With this, Pilate turned and took the prisoner into the palace to commence the trial. Pilate didn't take the first two charges seriously. He was sure there was no supporting evidence of Jesus inciting sedition or opposing payment of taxes. But the third charge, that was more serious. Rome was very sensitive to any claim to a rival kinship that would challenge Caesar's authority. Pilate asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Uh, Jesus wanted him to clarify if he was asking from a Roman or a Jewish perspective. 
Indeed, he was claiming to be the king of the Jews, but not a king in the way the Romans would understand it. Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. He had no interest in Jewish religious issues. He was asking as the Roman administrator. What he wanted to know is if Jesus had done anything that would be a challenge to the sovereignty of Caesar. It was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it that you have done? Jesus commenced his defense with an affirmation but also a qualification. My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. His kingdom was of no threat to Caesar. His kingdom was not a kingdom that was concerned with territories or taxes. His kingdom was concerned with people's souls. And it was not advanced by armies, but by truth. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you are right in saying, I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Pilate was supposed to be asking the questions, but now a question was being asked of him. It seemed that now it was he and not Jesus who was in the dock. How would he respond to Jesus' claim to have absolute truth? Would he listen to Jesus? Bah, what is truth, Pilate asked. And with this he went out again to the Jews, still waiting outside the palace, and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. The issue of truth confronted Pilate that day and he responded to it. He had to respond to it. How do people today respond to the truth of Jesus? Of course, some do embrace it uh, and here we are today. Uh, some people do submit and recognize that truth as divine truth and they place their trust in Jesus. But of course, not all do. Uh, some reject it. And just as it was rejected then, so people today still reject it in similar ways, either through aggressive rejection or evasive rejection. Uh, we see in the Jewish religious leaders, uh, they were dead set against the truth of Jesus and who he was. And they were very aggressive in their rejection of Jesus. I mean, he couldn't do anything to convince them. He would perform miracles which could only be performed with the power of God. And yet even then, they rejected him. They said, your power doesn't come from God, it comes from Satan. Their hearts were dark and their hearts were hard and they were aggressive in the way that they sought to reject Jesus' truth. Indeed, it led them to seek to take Jesus' life. Aggressive rejection of the truth. But that is not all we see, of course, because Pilate embodies a different response to the truth of Jesus, but also a rejection, evasive rejection. 
Uh, we see in Pilate a man who was prepared to go through the motions of inquiry about who Jesus was as part of the trial. But when confronted with that truth claim of Jesus, he evades the implications. What does he do? Uh, he bats the ball away into the long grass, hoping it will not be found again. And so as then, so also today. Some are ag- aggressive today in their rejection of Jesus as a source of truth. Others today simply evade him, seeking to remain conveniently neutral, but at the end of the day, their rejection of Jesus is no different. Uh, the sneering response of Pilate, ha, what is truth, is echoed by many in our society today. Uh, it's what we call relativism. Relativism. Our society generally sees truth as relative. In other words, what is true for one person is not necessarily true for another person. Each person has their own version of the truth that is true for them. And no one has the right to say that the truth of another person is wrong. And hence, what do we have? All these different versions of truth have to, in some way, uh, coexist side by side, uh, each being affirmed as being valid, even when they contradict each other. Hence the term relativism. Uh, People's desire to determine their own truth is not something that is just confined to our secular society, because it is also alive and well within the churches. How often have you heard churchgoers say, my God is a God of love. My God is not a God of justice and judgment. My God would never send a person to hell. Do you see what they're doing? Uh, They maintain that God is a God of love, but they reject what the Bible also says about God in terms of his judgment and the reality of hell. And in effect, their version of the truth is exactly that. It is their version of the truth. They're being highly selective as to which parts of the Bible they look to and which they accept as authoritative over them. They're being highly selective as to which parts of the Bible allow them to understand the God who has revealed himself through it. And yet, as we know, the Bible's claim is that All scripture is God-breathed. So, uh, given the prevalence of relativism all around us, we're going to spend some time considering four areas. Firstly, uh, the appeal of relativism. Uh, Secondly, uh, the problem with relativism. Thirdly, the way out of relativism. And finally, the benefit of Jesus' truth. So firstly, at the appeal of relativism. It is attractive. Why? Because it offers people control over their lives. It fulfills the desire to be liberated from the shackles of any ultimate authority. It puts people in the driving seat. They can determine what is true for them. And they can then set their life direction and belief according to what they are comfortable with. They make the rules and they change them when it suits them. 
interestingly, whereas maybe 50 years ago, people would ask the question, is it true? Nowadays, people ask a different question. Am I comfortable with this? And such an attitude does not catch the Bible by surprise. Of course, it is at the very heart of the Bible's diagnosis of humanity's problem. It's this desire, isn't it, to suppress and ignore the truth of God so as to be rid of God. Let's look again at those familiar words in Romans 1, uh, verse 18. Romans 1 says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. At verse 25, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator. You see, in turning its back on God, uh, sinful humanity turns to worship the creation rather than the creator. Uh, and this can be seen today in the secularist materialism all around us. Relativism is the sinner's dream because it champions the freedom of individual choice. No one has the right to challenge the truth that they have chosen for their life. All truth is affirmed as being equally valid. So that's the appeal of relativism. But what is the problem with relativism? Uh, firstly, uh, inconsistency. Uh, it is disingenuous. Uh, to say that there is no such thing as absolute truth is actually a claim to absolute truth. It's saying uh, this is what is true about truth. Uh, it's in effect saying that it has a vantage point which oversees all the truths out there and it can assert with absolute certainty there is no th such thing as absolute truth. Subtly inconsistent. So you see, uh, relativism is fundamentally flawed. It's illogical. It is inconsistent because as a belief system in itself, it is a claim to absolute truth. Uh, secondly, uh, it's also wrong. Uh, two contradictory truths cannot both be true. Uh, to this day, uh, there is a flat earth society. Uh, it maintains that the world is a disk with the North Pole at its center and with a 45-meter-high wall of ice at the outer edge. True, the society still exists today. Uh, when the first satellite images taken from outer space showed the Earth as a sphere rather than flat, the society responded, and I quote, it's easy to see how a photograph like that could fool the untrained eye. There you have it. There's just no convincing them. Uh, the society was relaunched in 2009 and is currently open for membership if you're interested. There we go. I've got one person already. I'll give you the link afterwards. You see, their version of the truth is different to that of the majority of the Earth's population. Both views, of course, cannot be true at the same time. So, relativism... It's inconsistent, it's wrong, and finally, it's perilous because 
Some truth matters. Uh, whether the earth is flat or round doesn't really carry much weight or consequence with me personally, unless, of course, I'm getting on a long-haul flight, which I do reasonably regularly, at which point I may be more interested to learn. But at the end of the day, whether it's round or flat, doesn't really impact on our daily lives for both of us. But Jesus' truth claims are very different because Jesus' truth claims carry eternal consequences. And how people respond to this truth of Jesus determines their eternal destiny of heaven or of hell. And for a person to turn their back on truth does not change the truth. And as the saying goes, the truth will out at some point. Sooner or later, they will be confronted with that truth. Uh, these days, it's not a very pleasant experience to receive a picture of your car in the post because usually it's from the RTA and they're demanding your hard-earned cash for a speeding violation or a traffic light offence. What if uh, the dismayed motorist asserted, well, that's just the RTA's perception of the truth, but my perception of the truth is quite different. Does that settle the matter? Unfortunately not. Sooner or later, they will have to face the music, and the more they delay, the worse the music becomes, because, of course, the fine increases over time. How much more is this true when it comes to responding to Jesus' truth claims? Because for now, they can be conveniently dismissed as just another version of the truth, and yet there will come a time, and it may not be until the final judgment, but there will come a time when each person will be confronted with the absolute truth of who Jesus is. And only then, whilst they will have to acknowledge the truth, but it will be too late to be saved by the truth. Relativism, it is inconsistent, it is wrong, and it is perilous. Metaphorically, it is a way of sticking our head in the sand. So we've seen the appeal, uh, we've seen the danger. Thirdly, the way out of relativism. Uh, what does Christ say to truth skeptics? To truth skeptics? Uh, what is the answer to relativism? Uh, what does Christ say to relativists, to those like Pilate who are skeptical that there is such a thing as absolute truth? Uh, you will recall that at the climax of Jesus' trial before Pilate, the dialogue takes an unexpected turn. Uh, John 18, verse 37 again. Uh, Jesus answered, You are right in saying, I am a king. In fact, for this reason, I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Jesus' claim is to be a king whose primary concern is to bring the truth. He says, for this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. You could say Jesus is the king of divine truth. And his truth is based on the revelation of God. It comes from outside of our world, but it breaks into our world. And what is the truth to which Jesus testifies? Uh, 
It's the truth that really matters. It's the truth about the big overarching issues of life. The truth about God, about us, and about the meaning, about why we are here. It's the truth of ultimate reality. And it's the truth of the way of salvation. And it's Jesus where we see ultimately that true truth residing. He reveals the truth of God's character. Jesus reveals the truth of God's will. And Jesus reveals the truth of God's words. Uh, In John 12, verse 49, Jesus says this, For I did not speak of my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. You see, Jesus tells us of the words from the Father himself. He relays them faithfully and without alteration. And Jesus tells us of our true standing before God. He tells the stark truth that unless we are forgiven, we're on the highway to hell. But Jesus also brings the truth of the highway back to the Father. The way of confession the way of humility, the way of trust in Christ's death, the way of forgiveness, the way of true freedom and restoration and joy. Hence why Jesus says earlier in John's Gospel in John 14 verse 6, he says, as we had in the kids' talk, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So what does Christ say to relativists? Uh, What does Christ say to those like Pilate who wants to deny the absolute truth? Well, Jesus' words to Pilate also ring true today. Verse 37 says, Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And that's Jesus' challenge. Listen to me. Investigate me, Jesus says to our world. Consider me, Jesus says. And ultimately, trust me. And that is the reason that Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, left heaven and entered our world. It was the reason that he was, as he says, born. So finally, the benefits of Jesus' truth. Uh, Many people today reject Jesus' truth because they see it as stifling and they see it as restrictive. But the irony is that actually Jesus' truth is exactly the opposite because Jesus' truth brings freedom and joy. John 8, verse 31 and 32, Jesus says this, If you hold to my teaching You are really my disciples. And then you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. Jesus' truth delivers us from uncertainty. Jesus' truth delivers us from doubt about the big issues of life. Jesus' truth provides a solid rock for our lives which bears us ultimately into the paradise of eternity in the new creation. And Jesus' truth continues to change us and to mold us now to be the people we were meant to be. Jesus' truth 
It guides us day by day. It doesn't leave us to walk life's path in the darkness and in ignorance. Rather, we walk hand in hand with the good shepherd. And the psalmist recognized this. The psalmist recognized that a life that heeds and trusts in God's word is truly blessed. Psalm 119, verse 44. The psalmist says, I will always obey your law forever and ever. I will walk about in freedom, for I have sought out your precepts. You see, the psalmist got it as well. In God's law, in God's word, he wants to walk in it because he knows that in God's word and the path it lays out for his life, there is true freedom. Are we not, even as Christians, in danger of being relativists? Is there not always for us that temptation to evade the challenge of God's word in certain areas of our lives? You see, the struggle to willingly embrace and submit to Jesus' lordship, that's a real struggle for all of us, for me and for you. If we're honest, there are different areas in each of our lives where we feel a little uncomfortable sitting under the truth and the authority of Jesus' words. And if we're honest, there are areas in all of our lives where we battle to say, yes, you know what's best, Jesus. I'll go your way on this. And yet, in that battle, we need to remember what we're seeing in God's word today. Jesus' truth brings freedom. He knows what's best for us. And ultimately, to embrace his way is the best possible thing we can ever do. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, um, thank you for the truth. Thank you that uh, we have reflected on what it is this morning and the beauty of truth, the pr truth that Jesus brings. Uh, we thank you that we can be confident that his truth is absolutely true, that he is who he claims to be, the risen and reigning king, your son. Help us therefore, we pray, to live joyfully under that truth, increasingly applying it to all the different spheres of our life, increasingly being molded to be the people that you want us to be. And may we therefore experience increasingly the freedom your truth brings and that joy. And may we live lives increasingly to your glory as a response to that truth, we pray. Amen.